Well, guys, it is good to be with you. We are almost out of room in this pandemic here, so that is a good sign. It's exciting. Thank you so much for coming. Just been praying the Lord would protect us and um, so that we can just continue to grow and reach people in this city for the name of Jesus. So I invite you to open up your Bibles to the book of Matthew chapter 7, verse 21. Matthew chapter 7, verse 21. We're going to get there in a few minutes. Next week, we're going to be beginning our series called What's at the Core, which is going to be looking at the core values of Sagemont. I'm excited about that. As you may have heard, I did a series of interviews with Pastor John Morgan where we sort of walked through each one of them. I'll show a little video clip each week. We had a really good time. We laughed a lot. It was a lot of fun. I learned a lot about the church. That was fun. So we'll be showing one of those videos each week as we address the core values. Also, we're going to be doing the the Lord's Supper together at the end of the service. So hopefully you got one of those little packets on the way in. And um, if you didn't, feel free to run out and go get one. But uh, last week I talked about what was, what in my opinion is probably, for lack of better words, the most haunting verse in the Bible for me as a pastor And it's the verse where Jesus was speaking to the church in Ephesus, and he uh, addresses the fact that they had left their first love. They'd walked, they were doing all these amazing things for him, but they had walked away from the person of Jesus as their primary love. And he tells them the consequences if they don't come back to him as their first love. He says that I'm going to remove your lampstand from its place. And that's a, an amazing thing when you understand what he's saying, but he's saying that if Christ is not the center of your church... But if some man or something or some, something you're doing becomes more important than the person of Jesus, he's saying that I'm going to remove my blessing of his presence from the church. And I know that there's none of us here that wants that. And so today, because um, we've got one more week before our series starts, just got to pick whatever I wanted to talk on. And so I decided, hey, if we're talking about difficult things Jesus said... I decided to talk about what might be one of the most haunting verses that he ever says to us as individual Christians. It's, uh, it's, in my opinion, I think you can make an argument that this is maybe the most difficult and the most challenging thing Jesus ever said during his ministry. And today I want to look at that. And, and, and honestly, what, what makes this verse, I'm going to say the word scary, because when you look at it, you're like, whoa, Lord, that's intense. What makes this thing so scary is what Jesus is going to say is that there's going to be a lot of people in the world that are most likely churchgoers, and there are going to be people that call him Lord. Jesus says that, not me. He says there are going to be people that call him Lord. They're, they're going to do things for Jesus, but at the end of the day, they're not going to heaven when they die. That's what Jesus says. In other words, there's going to be all these people that from all outward appearances look like Christians, but at the end of the day, they're not really believers, not really Christians. And so let's, let's jump in today. I'm going to read you the text for us to just get our minds around it, and then I'll, I'll start unpacking it. But Matthew chapter 7, verse 21. This is Jesus speaking. <clears throat> Jesus says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, Will enter the kingdom of heaven. But he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven will enter. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, 
Did we not prophesy in your name? And in your name cast out demons. And in your name perform many miracles. And then verse 23, Jesus says, And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Now, to get our minds around what Jesus is saying, I want to tell you a story. Um, and it's the story about the day that I first met my wife, Jennifer. And I was a, I was a sophomore at Texas A&M. And yes, there's always one person that whoops. Thank you, whoever you are. I love you. And um, I was a sophomore at Texas A&M. I was in the Corps of Cadets at A&M. And so I was sporting my new flat top haircut that the sophomores get to wear. It's the first day of class. I was walking into history. I think it was 101. It's, it's, a, it's a room, to give you the concept, that's not much smaller than this room. They have big classes at A&M. And I walked in, and I do what every red-blooded American male does that, that walks into the first class. You kind of walk around and look around and see if there's any good-looking girls in the class. And so I looked up, and in the very back of the room, there was this girl sitting there. She caught my attention. She was tan. Um, she was gorgeous. Beautiful woman. And I remember seeing her, and this, this literally went through my mind. I remember thinking, you know what? There are some fine-looking women at Texas A&M University. Praise God for that. And um, now Billy Graham used to teach that you're not supposed to look at, at girls twice, but I couldn't help myself. She was so pretty. I had to look at her again. And I looked back, and she was wearing a Fellowship of Christian Athletes t-shirt. And I had begun to walk with the Lord, was, was, was loving Jesus, following Him, and so I looked at her again, saw the, how beautiful she was, and that she was wearing a Fellowship of Christian Athletes t-shirt, and literally in my head I said, um, praise God, there are some fine godly women at Texas A&M University, right? So I was having a moment there. Now, but here, here was the problem, is that I was dating another girl at the time. That was the problem. I know. And, um, and this girl was great. She was a, a godly woman. I honestly thought that I was going to marry her. And a few weeks after this moment where I saw Jennifer for the first time, this girl that I had been dating for about a year broke up with me. And she said, what she told me, she said that God told her to break up with me, which is kind of hard to argue with. Amen? When a person tells you, hey, God told me to break up with you, it's hard to argue. And, um, but anyway, I, I was sort of brokenhearted because I thought I was going to marry this girl. And, and, uh, and so I remember that night, I went into my dorm room, and I was praying. I was devastated. I was crying. I was so sad. And, and I, re I remember just being so frustrated with women at that point. And I was just like, God, here's the deal. From this moment forward, from the rest of my life, no more women, God. That's it. I'm never dating again. God, if you want to send me to Afghanistan, I don't care. You and me, Lord, no more women ever. I'm done with women. And I prayed that. I was on my knees, actually. That's a true story. Well, the next morning, I went to History 101 class. And I walked in, and I walked about halfway down. And sure enough, there was that girl that I had seen on the first day, the tan one with the Fellowship of Christian Athletes t-shirt. And she was sitting all by herself. And in that moment, I was in a dilemma. <laughs> because of what I would prayed the night before, Right? And so I literally, I'm, I, can, I, I can literally see this in my mind. I, I was walking down the stairs, and there she was. And I had this moment where I had a conversation with God. I sort of looked up at God, remember what I said the night before, and then I looked down at her. And then I sort of looked up at God again, and then I sort of looked back down at her, and I said, I'm sorry, God. And I went and sat right down beside her. 
And I started talking to her, and um, we sort of struck up a conversation. I, I think at one point we started passing notes, but we were not paying attention in class at all. Um, began to know about her life. Began to know about her life. I found out what her name was. Found out where she was from. She was from Granbury, Texas. Found out what her major was. She was a math major, which meant she was smarter than me. And we ended up talking a lot that day. And I learned more about her life. I, I learned, you know, what dorm she was in. I learned what her roommate's name was. And, and, and so here's the thing I want you to hear, that, that we were at a point in our relationship at that time where I was beginning to learn a lot of things about her. But I was not yet in a relationship with her, if that makes any sense. Now, after a while, it continued, and we started to date. And I began to spend more and more time with her. And I began to know more than just the facts about her life. I began to know her as a human being. I began to know her as a person. I began to know her heart. I began to know her dreams and her hopes and her fears and her successes and her failures. And see, here's the thing I want you to hear. I went from just knowing about her life. And we entered into a relationship together. Now, hear this very clear today. At some point... There was a transition between us. And I went from just knowing things about her until I got to the place where there was some point in our relationship where I actually began to know her. You see the difference? And, 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 and here's the thing. It didn't end there. I ended up marrying this girl. I didn't I realize that the first time I saw her, I was looking at my future wife. We've been married in August. It'll be 24 years. We've had children together. We've walked through cancer together. We planted a church together. We've, we've fought a hundred times. We've laughed 10,000 times. We've seen the best of the best with each other. We've seen the worst of the worst. And, but every single day, our relationship continues to grow and it continues to deepen. And there's not a single human being on the planet that knows me more than she does. And there's not a single human being on the planet that knows her more than I do. And so listen, here's the thing I sort of want you to hear today. That there is a world of difference between the day that I met her and I began to know facts about her life and now where I, I know this woman deeply and intimately, okay? Now this is the statement that's sort of at the heart of this message. That there is a big difference there is a monumental difference between knowing about someone and knowing someone. There's a monumental difference between knowing about someone and actually knowing someone. And that's the, that difference between those two things, knowing about someone and knowing someone, is at the heart of this sermon. And so I want to tell you guys that one of the greatest fears that I have people... Uh, that I have, rather, for people that are in the church, and especially for people that grew up in church, and hear this, I fear there are a lot of people, and I'll show you why I, I, I say it's a lot, I fear that there are a lot of people, that there are many people, many, maybe even folks in this room, that know a lot about Jesus, but you don't know Jesus. And I say that it's one of my greatest fears, that it's one of my greatest fears as a pastor and as an individual because when it comes to Jesus, 
there isn't just a big difference, but church, when it comes to Jesus, there is an eternal difference between knowing about Jesus and knowing Jesus. And that's exactly what's going on here in this text, and it's exactly who Jesus is addressing here in Matthew chapter 7, verse 21, are people that knew a lot about Jesus, but they had never actually entered into a relationship of knowing with Jesus. Now, let's read it together. Let's, let's, let's unpack it quickly. Matthew seven twenty-one. Jesus says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Look at the phrase, not everyone. Jesus begins this passage of scripture, and he says, not everybody, not everyone who says to me, who calls me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Here's what that means, church. That means that there are going to be people out there, or in here, hopefully not, that are going to call him Lord, But Jesus says, not me, that those people, even though they call him Lord, they are not going to heaven when they die. They're not going to enter the kingdom of heaven. And so when you hear that, that that it's entirely possible for you to call Jesus Lord, but not enter into the kingdom of heaven, that ought to get our attention today. Because the thing that hit me, guys, is that, that Jesus is not talking about atheists here. He's not talking about agnostics. He's not talking about people that are antagonistic to the person of Christ. These are people that believe that God is real, and they call him Lord, but he says they're not going to enter the kingdom of heaven. Look at verse 21 again. He says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But then watch what he says next. He says, but he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven will enter. Okay, so Jesus saying here, here's who's going to heaven, guys. He's saying the people that are going to go to heaven are not the ones that just call me Lord, but the, but the ones who do the will of my Father who is in heaven, they are the ones that are going to enter. Now, we know something, church. We know that doing the will of God does not get us into heaven. We know that. And so what Jesus must clearly be saying here is that the evidence, hear this, that the evidence of, of, of your salvation is not that you call him Lord, but the evidence of your salvation is that you call him Lord, and then your life reflects the fact that he is your Lord. That's who's going to heaven. And church, again, the reason that this is scary is because churches are full of people just like this. That's been my experience. They know he's God. They call him Lord, but their lives don't look any more like Jesus Christ than the man in the moon. And so in verse 21, he says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father who's in heaven now. Watch what he says next, because this is when it starts getting sort of more intense. In verse 22, Jesus says, many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? And in your name cast out demons. And in your name perform many miracles. And so Jesus begins that statement by saying, um, many will say to me on that day. Check that out. And so what day is he talking about? He's talking about judgment day. And so on judgment day, there's going to be people gathered around the throne 
And there's going to be this group of people that are going to be pleading their case to Jesus. And what they're going to say to him is they're going to say, Lord, I prophesied in your name. They're going to be saying, Jesus, I prophesied in your name. In other words, they preached, they taught, they gave people words from God in the name of Christ. Then he goes on and he says, in your name cast out demons. What? It's going to be people that cast out demons in their lives. Goes on and says, in your name perform many miracles. That's crazy. I don't really understand that. There's probably one good example of that, and that's Judas. Because you go and, and you read the Gospels, and there's a couple little phrases in there that, that Judas was, was doing all the other stuff that the disciples were doing. He couldn't have looked at his life and, and seen that he was, had a radically different heart than all the other disciples. And so Jesus says that there's going to be many people on that day that are going to say, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? In your name, cast out demon. In your name, perform many miracles. These are people that were doing, that do amazing things for God in the name of Christ. That's crazy. And here's sort of what hit me as I was reading this, that if, if there's going to be people that prophesied in the name of Christ, if there's going to be people that cast out demons in the name of Christ. There's going to be people that perform miracles in, in Jesus' name, but do not enter the kingdom of heaven. That there's most certainly going to be people that say, Lord, did I not go to church in your name? Lord, did I, did I not go to an iConnect class in your name? Lord, did I not go on mission trips in your name? Lord, did I not give money in your name? But will not enter the kingdom of heaven. It's a difficult statement Jesus makes. And if you're like me, you're probably thinking, well, surely this is rare, right? Surely there's not that many people out there that this is not a common occurrence for people to believe in God, call him Lord, do amazing things for him, but aren't going to heaven. Surely that's a rare thing. But I want you to look at the very first word that Jesus says in Matthew 7, 22. Look at it. Jesus said, many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? So this isn't a small group of people. Jesus says there are going to be many, many people. Call him Lord. Do stuff for him. But they're going to be shocked on that day when they discover that they're not entering the kingdom of heaven. Now look carefully here at, the, at verse 23. At this last verse here. Because Jesus explains and he tells these people that called him Lord, did all these amazing things for him in his name, but aren't going to heaven. He tells them why. So let's look at verse 23. Verse 23, he says, and then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. So Jesus, again, he, he looks at these people on judgment day. They're pleading their case. They call him Lord. They did all these things for him, and he looks at them, and he says, depart from me, because I never knew you. Church, there is an eternal difference between knowing about Jesus and knowing the person of Jesus Christ. There's an eternal difference, and we've got to get to the bottom of that. 
Because it's Jesus, I think the whole point of the text is that there, it's entirely possible for you to have all the outward appearances of a follower of Christ, but to never actually enter into a relationship of knowing. Where on that last day, he looks at you and says, I know you. And you know me. And so I want to tell you kind of a funny story. It's a little bit of a long story, but... When I was growing up, I remember reading this passage and not understanding it. I remember going, how in the world does a person sort of recognize that he's the Lord? They're actually doing things for him in his name and yet not enter the kingdom of heaven. Like, what in the world is going on? And why is he saying, I I never knew you? What in the world is that about? And I had something happen to me years ago that sort of illustrated how that can actually happen. That you can think you know someone, but you really don't. And, um, and, it, and it happened um, when I met a man that some of you guys have heard of named Nolan Ryan. Any Nolan Ryan fans in here? Got a bunch. Of, he was a Houston guy for a while. So I, when I was growing up, I was a huge Nolan Ryan fan. And I really started following him when he started, uh, not when he was in Houston, because I don't remember when he was in Houston, honestly. Sorry. Um, but when he went to the Rangers, and I was younger, and I, started, I was a big baseball fan, and so I used to watch his games. Mom would let me stay up later when, when Nolan Ryan was, um, was pitching. And I was a huge fan of his, studied him, was a big fan of, of Nolan Ryan. But he went to the next level for me as kind of a hero of mine um, on the day that I got to watch him uh, beat up on the mound, this guy named Robin Ventura. Now, I didn't realize this until this week, but I think it was Tuesday was the, was the anniversary of the day that Nolan Ryan and Robin Ventura fought on the mound. Now, let me give you a little background here of what happened, because this matters. Um, and so, um, Nolan Ryan was at the latter part of his career. He was, um, he was sort of towards the end. He was, he was at the end of this Hall of Fame career. He'd won so many games, so many uh, no-hitters, so many strikeouts. This guy was a legend. He's a Hall of Famer, future Hall of Famer. And Robin Ventura was young at the time. He was like 20-something years old. But here's the thing, if you don't know about baseball and you don't understand about baseball, then here's what happens. That if a pitcher is pitching and he hits you with the ball, whether by accident or on purpose, and he hits you with the ball, in the moment that as a batter you get hit with the ball, you have a choice, okay? When you get hit, you can either lay the bat down and then walk to first base. You get a free base if you get hit with the ball. Your other option is if you get hit, to throw the bat down and run and fight the pitcher. Those are your two options, okay? Now, I don't know about you guys, but if I'm Robin Ventura and I'm batting against future Hall of Famer Nolan Ryan and he hits me with a pitch, here's what I'm doing. If I'm batting against Nolan Ryan, he hits me with a pitch, I'm putting the bat down I am going to grab the baseball, walk to first, and ask him to sign it on the way. Amen? So that I can show my grandchildren this is the ball that future Hall of Famer Nolan Ryan hit me in the side with. How cool is that? But that's not what he does. Like an like a idiot, he throws the bat down, and he charges the mound on future Hall of Famer Nolan Ryan. Now, I remember watching this, and in that couple of seconds before it went down, I remember thinking, oh, man, the old guy's going to get beat up, because he was like 40-something at the time, and that was old back when I saw that. 
I'm 46 now. I'm not so old anymore, amen? But he's like 40-something, and I'm thinking, because you know, Rob Mature's like 25. He's at the height of his physical specimen and acumen. And so he charges the mound, and I remember thinking in that split second, this is going to be bad. The, the young guy's just going to beat the dog out of him. But that's not what happened. So he runs. He charges the mound at Nolan Ryan. I saw this on Tuesday when I watched this, but he sort of kind of does this really weak, I'm sure does this really, really weak little punch. And, oh, man, Nolan Ryan sort of jumps out of the way and then gets Robin in a headlock and just beats the dog out of him. Blood was going everywhere. It was awesome. I was like a kid jumping on the couch going, no, Lord, yes. It was a be- I actually have a picture of this. Do we have a, a picture of that? There, there it is right there. He's in a headlock beating him up. It's beautiful. It's beautiful. All right, we can take that down. <laughs> that was sort of the moment that I just went next level in my fandom of Nolan Ryan. I really started studying. At some point in my life, I could have told you just about anything about him. I could have told you how many strikeouts he had, how many shutouts he had, how many wins he had, how many, how many no-hitters. I, I could tell you where he was from. I, think, I mean, he was from Alvin, Texas. And, 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 and I, like, I could tell you his kids' names. And, and one of his sons actually went to my church in Austin for several years. Still goes there. It was really cool. And, um, and so I could tell you everything about Nolan Ryan. I was an absolute fan of this guy. But here's the thing. There was a day that came not too long after this where I went to college and I actually had the opportunity to meet him. And it's an interesting story. I told you it's a long story. I apologize. But I was in an organization in the Corps Cadets that was called Ross Volunteers. And the Ross Volunteers, are, they pick like 70 guys a year that are juniors, and you are the honor guard for the governor of the state of Texas. And so I happened to be chosen as one of the Ross Volunteers the year that, that George W. Bush became governor of Texas. And so I was a Ross Volunteer, and um, they called us, and they said, hey, um, Governor Bush's inauguration is going to be on this date. We need you to come, and we want you to have a series of saber arches for him. So he's going to go into like this party, and, and, and you and your buddies stand across from each other, and you hold a saber arch up. He's going to walk underneath it, and he'll go into the party and do his thing. And we actually got to be up on the stage. If you want to go look it up, we're down there close to the stage when he was being inaugurated. And so that's what we did. They put us in a big bus. They drove us down there. We did the inauguration. Um, had five parties that night. We would go do a saber arch. Him and his, his dad, you know, George Bush Sr. would come walking through. I actually was really close to um, President, the first President George H.W. Bush. And he, you know, he was so cool. He's like, you Aggies look good. Gig them. You know, he, would, he was talking to us. And it was awesome. And so they would go through. And then we'd get in the bus and go to the next inauguration party. And we'd do it again. And then finally, after the fifth one, they walked through, and we're done. And the, the guy that's in charge came up to us, and he says, okay, you guys are done. You don't have to do any more saber arches. You guys can go to the buffet and eat. And so I, we put our stuff down and put our sabers down, and I went to the buffet line, and I'll never forget this moment. But I was reaching in, and I was grabbing the tongs for some mushrooms. This is in my brain. It was some mushrooms. And I was reaching in tongs for some mushrooms. And at the very same time, this huge hand came in to try to grab the tongs at the exact same time. And so we kind of touched. This is before COVID. We touched each other. It was like it hit each other. And, and it was sort of awkward. So I, I looked up because I felt this huge presence on me. And I looked up and there standing beside me 
was Nolan Ryan. I touched his hand. <laughs> and I'm standing right next to Nolan Ryan. And I looked up at him, and he sort of looked down at me. And you would think that in this moment that I am meeting, like, my hero. This guy that I had studied my whole life, that I knew all about. You would think in that moment when I actually met him, I would say something cool or appropriate. I should have been prepared, but I wasn't. But I looked up at him. He's sort of looking down at me, and this is all I said. I said, you're Nolan Ryan. <laughs> and he looked down at me. He said, yes, I am. And then I said, thank you. <laughs> That's all I had. I just said, thank you. And uh, he sort of just shook his trees. He just kind of shook his head and walked off. But I met Nolan Ryan. I met him face to face. That's my story. Here's the thing, and I'm, I'm pretty much done with this message, and we're going to do the Lord's Supper, so hang with me. Years later, I was, I was thinking about that moment, and something hit me. Here's a guy that I knew all about. I could tell you so many things about his life. I could tell you so many details about his life. From afar, I had experienced so many things about his life. But here's what hit me. I knew all about this guy. But in the moment when I actually met him face to face, I realized something. Even though I knew all about him, and the moment that our eyes met, it hit me like a ton of bricks. I do not know him. And he doesn't know me. Felt like I knew him. I knew so much about him. But I didn't know him. Knew all about him. But it hit me like a ton of bricks. I had never, ever in my life entered into a relationship with this man that I knew all about in church. That's how it happens. That's what Jesus is talking about here. Jesus is saying there's going to be so many people that are going to go to church. They're going to be in the presence of Jesus. They're going to be sort of around him. They're going to hear people talking about him. They're going to, they're going to hear all these things about him. They're going to know all these details about his life. And they may even take the step of doing things in his name, but they never, ever, ever actually entered into a relationship of knowing with him. And as a result, they don't know Jesus. And he doesn't know them. So here's the thing, Sagemont. I have no doubt in my mind. I have no doubt in my mind that if you're here today and you've been in church for a long time, you grew up in church, I have no doubt in my mind that you could walk up on this stage and I could hand you the mic and you could tell me all kinds of things about Jesus. You could tell me where he was born. You could tell me his parents' names. You could tell me the names of his disciples. You could, you could talk about his miracles. You could quote all these scriptures that he said and things that he did. I have zero doubt whatsoever that you could come and you could talk and you could explain and even tell others about Jesus. But here's the question. 
if you were to somehow, some way, like I, I'm, I'm speaking completely hypothetically here because when he comes back, everybody's going to know it and it's going to be over. But if somehow, some way, Jesus were to walk into this room, here's a question, and he were to come and he were to come and sit down beside you and you're actually seeing him for the very first time of your life. You're actually sitting next to him, looking at him face to face for the very first time in your life. I know you know a lot about him, but here's the question. In that moment, would you know him? And would he know you? That's you today, and you're like, Matt, man, this may be me. As I look at my life, I, I know I've done these things, and I've been in church my life, but I don't know if there's ever been a moment that I've like, actually entered in a relationship of deep knowing with Jesus. And by the way, that word know right there, it's a word that means deep intimacy. The word knowing is a word that was most often used in the Greek. It's Greek word gnosko. It's a word that was most often used to describe a sexual relationship between a man and a woman. It said a man knew his wife. It is a, it's a word of deep and profound intimacy between you and another person. Church, I know you know about him, but have you entered into this deep, amazing, intimate relationship of knowing with the person of Jesus Christ. The way you do that, the way you do that, the way you get from knowing about him to knowing him, the scripture says that you enter in a relationship with him by faith through what he did on the cross and through the resurrection. And you ask him to forgive you of your sins and make you a new creation. And then you repent. You turn from your sins and then you say, Jesus, I want to follow you the rest of my life. But church, that moment that you do that, that's just like the wedding day. That's like Jennifer and I's wedding day. It's the moment you enter into the relationship, but every day from then on, just like me and Jennifer, you spend every day growing deeper and deeper in your love and your knowledge and your relationship with him and he you. And that way, one day when you do see him face to face, and you're going to, that it will not be an introduction, but it'll be a reunion between you and your best friend and the love of your life and your Savior. That's what he's asking of us. That's what he desires from us. And so let's pray. With our heads bowed, I want you to know that the difference between the two is what's called religion. Religion doesn't save us. Only the gospel saves us. Only a relationship with Jesus saves us. Only his blood saves us. I didn't say these words Jesus did. He said there's going to be many. And so I just, I just want to sort of put that and hand that to you and would you describe your relationship with Jesus as one of knowing because that's what he's going to be talking about on Judgment Day? 
If you're not sure, maybe today the best thing you could ever do is say, Jesus, I want to know you. I want you to know me. And if that's coming out of your mouth, I promise you, that's the Holy Spirit that's working in your heart. And that doesn't happen by accident. Trust in Him as your Lord and Savior. Ask Him to forgive you of your sins. Believe in your heart that He was risen from the grave. Confess with your mouth that He is Lord. And you will be saved. Father, I pray that there would not be a single human being in this entire room on that day (laughs) that you would say, depart from them, I never knew you. I pray there wouldn't be a single solitary sage monitor that that would happen to you. I want to ask you that. And so if there's any in this room that are in that place today, I pray that your Holy Spirit would reveal it to them in a way that I never could. Lord Jesus, we want to be a people that know you and know you well. We love you and we praise you. And it's an honor today to enter into this time of remembering your body and your blood. Amen. Should take your packet. Go ahead and take the top part off there and grab the little wafer. Hold on to it. On the night that Jesus was, was betrayed, the night before he was crucified, he was with his disciples in the upper room. And he took out some bread and he held it up. And he took it and he broke it. And he looked at his disciples and he said, This is my body. It's going to be broken for you. It's going to be broken for your sin. It's going to be your payment, my body. It's going to be broken for you. And he said, take it and eat it. And as often as you do it, do it in remembrance of me. If you're here today and you're a follower of Christ, we want to invite you right now to eat that wafer and remember the body of Jesus Christ that was broken for you. Then he took the cup and he held it up And he said, this is the cup of the new covenant. A new covenant. He said, I I have a new covenant for you that we're about to enter into. He said, this is the cup. It's, It's the cup of my blood. 
He said it's going to be poured out. My blood is going to be poured out for the forgiveness of your sins. Your sin's never going to be on your account anymore. You're going to be completely forgiven if you want it through my blood. And so he said, take it and drink it. And as often as you do it, do it in remembrance of me. And so right now, if you're a believer, if you're a child of God, I want you to drink the cup and I want you to remember the blood of Jesus that makes you completely clean. Take just a second and thank him for the body and the blood. Lord Jesus, there is no greater gift than you've ever given us than your body and your blood that was broken and poured out for our forgiveness. Thank you, Jesus, for what you did. Thank you that I stand today and we stand today as new creations because of that day that you hung on a cross, shed your blood, and then rose from the dead three days later. Lord, we love you and we praise you. May we be a people that know you and know you well. And I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.